Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. I'm going to stay happy and focused because one, I know that God is in control. And number two, I have an eternity set forth before me. If I stay on the, the narrow path, I am secured. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And as a church body, we're not expected to be alone. We're not expected to leave anybody behind. We're not expected to leave anybody beside. But we're all going through this together. And everything we do together, we have to remember each other in prayer and fasting and supplication. We've got to remember each other. Because we're a team and we move together as one. We're just so grateful to the Lord today. Brother Hogan, God bless you. Come and uh, take your liberty in the Lord today. Teach us the word of God. Amen. Can everybody hear me all right? All right, good. I, uh, sometimes I, I wonder why I feel led to go in the direction that I go in uh, with any kind of message. Anybody that knows me and all have been here for any number of years knows that I generally do something memorable in a service. One time I preached in handcuffs. Um, just, to, just to make an illustration, to make a point, to bring some context to uh, the message. Um, and sometimes you don't really know why you, you feel led to, to minister in a certain direction until you get to church and you hear a testimonial or you hear a message before you. And, um, and then it seems like it all kind of interconnects. And, uh, and so now after your testimony, Brother Berlin, I, I want to say that I just feel led to say this, that uh, I got a message for you, brother. I got a message for your wife. I got a message for just about everybody in this church. Um, but I understand now why this was given to me and why it's been on my heart. And so uh, I don't want to delay it anymore. I just want to go ahead and get into the Word. If you want to stand with me, we're going to open up to the book of Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. How many know the Lord is good? There's very few things in this world that we can hang our hat on. But one of those things I know for sure that I can hang my hat on is that God is good. And I also know that God is in control. And I also can hang my hat on the fact that there's nothing in our life that happens to us that does not have his stamp of approval upon it. And we always go back to Job for that. We talk about Job and what Job went through and how God loved Job. And God didn't do those things to Job, but he allowed those things to happen to Job because he believed in Job. And uh, it's no different for us. We all have a testimonial. We all have a story to tell. Things happen to us as individuals so that as a church body, we can become stronger. We can become more united. We can stand together. We can confront a force. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be soon not shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, 
And then move over with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 through 29. Hebrews 12, 27 through 29. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. As of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And one particular part of that verse, verse 29, that I really love the most is that just, for our God is a consuming fire. I love that portion of the scripture, but the parts I really want to focus on today is those two words that I read out of each one of those uh, passages of scripture today. One in Second Thessalonians, second, uh, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse two says that ye be not soon shaken. And then again in Hebrews twelve twenty seven, we find out that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Hands down, one of my favorite subjects in Bible college was hermeneutics. Some of you may know what hermeneutics is, and some of you may not, which is fine. I'll be uh, covering that here in just a minute. But it changed the way I understand the Bible and uh, just basically understood and studied the Bible forever. Now when I read the Bible, I'm like, wait, what did he just say? Why did he say that? Who was he saying it to? What were the conditions of the times? What were the conditions of the writer? Who is he referring to? Can it apply to me? Can it apply to somebody else? What was the context of the times that he lived in? And how can I relate that to someone else? These questions, when properly researched, brings us to light the context of the Scripture. Now, not only is hermeneutics knowing how to research and study Scripture, but it's also knowing how to communicate what you know. You see, in our life, things happen to us. Um, Some of us are, you know, raised in apostolic churches. Some of us uh, are raised in homes where there's no apostolic doctrine taught whatsoever. And we just kind of grow up, you know, being a part of the world. We have to learn how to separate ourselves from the world and separate ourselves unto God. And through that process, there's a a great difficulty involved. That's not to say that people who are raised in apostolic environments don't have difficult times. Sure, they feel the pressure. Sure, but there's kind of like a shelter over them their entire life, and they got a praying mother and a praying father. But that doesn't change the fact that there's still outside forces that try to attack the family. In fact, I would say more so if you're an apostolic child growing up under an apostolic roof with apostolic parents, because you got parents who are taking the kids to church and they're, they're praising God and they're trying to build and, and instill inside of them some kind of uh, commitment towards God and faith towards God and the things of God. And there's a, a spirit on the outside that seeks to put its claws and its foot in the door, if you will, into the life of the child. So when these things happen, naturally, uh, uh, the, the, the kid will feel like uh, they want to be a part of the world and they, they tr- try to walk with one foot um, in, 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 the, in the doctrine, the other foot in the world, it just doesn't work that way. 
So before I get too far ahead of myself, let me say that the Bible is loaded to bear with similes, metaphors, uh, uh, analogies, and hang on, anthropomorphism. <laughs> I can't pronounce the word. Anthropomorphisms. And I'll talk about that here in a second too. It's a $5 word, anthropomorphisms. All of these things are used by writers to convey a message to the reader in a way that we can more easily understand. For example, Psalms 98 and 8 says, Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. And Isaiah 55 and 12, it says, The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And we know that trees don't have hands and mountains don't have voices. They can't sing and clap. But the authors, under the leading of the Spirit, were trying to convey to us a message. They're trying to put some context into the lesson that they were teaching us so that we can understand the principles that they are trying to guide us with. So we try hard to understand God and the things of God. But in doing so, we sometimes forget that God is not a man. There is none beside him, there is none before him, and there's no such thing as after him. These are basic foundational principles that even the Jewish people were taught very, very, this ain't just a Christian thing. There was God, and then there was just God. There was nothing beside him, there's no one before him or after him. God is God, and he alone is the one true creator. But he's always been, and he always will be. So when, when we read things in Genesis, like God moved, God placed, God created, God blessed, God heard, God smelled, God planted, and so on, we have to remind ourselves that these things were recorded the way that they were to convey to us a context. Those things are anthropomorphisms. Human words applied to non-human things used to convey to us a message. The context being that God is in control. The Almighty put things together by his own will, and the entire context of the Bible is that God creates, he gives life, he blesses, he enriches lives, he redeems, and he takes life. We learn that from Job, right? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has given to us a will. We cannot make choices and do whatever we want, or we can do whatever we want. We can make choices, do whatever we want, but those choices always come with a consequence. Whether for good or for bad, the choices we make will forever determine the outcome of our eternity. And it doesn't matter if you like it or not, and I've said this so many times, whether you like it or not, one way or the other, you're going to either heaven or you're going to hell. There's no place in between. There's no place where, somewhere, where you go so somebody could pay money to get you out of heaven. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's a wide road and there's a narrow road. The Bible says that there's many that will go the way of the wide road, but very few that will take the right path and veer off onto that which is the thin road. Anybody that's been to this church, even once, has heard analogies. He loves to use them. Brother Jones loves to use them. I love to use them. Anybody that preaches loves to use analogies. Because what we're doing is conveying a message in a way that brings context to what we're trying to teach. That's hermeneutics at work. Hermeneutics is understanding, is, is studying the Bible, 
and relaying the Bible, and there's a methodology to, to, to studying the Bible, and there's a methodology to teaching it. I, what good is it to just read the Bible without explaining it? I remember, and this is a side note, but I remember when uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was, uh, remind me, who was the, the minister that was with the Ethiopian eunuch? The eunuch asked, how, how do I, am I going to know if you don't even teach me what it's saying? He's, uh, he asked, have you ever been baptized? He says, look, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And so Paul conveyed to the Thessalonians the things he had learned from the Holy Spirit and from the writings of Daniel, the Old, the Old Testament prophet, in a way that they would understand. And because the Thessalonians were not well-educated in Scripture, he had to relay them in terms and in meanings and ways to bring context to what he was teaching. And the writer of Hebrews did the same thing. So why do I say these things? Because I'm a strong believer that we are served up the lives that we have so we can be a testimonial, a living testimonial to somebody else in our life. The way that I live my life is looked upon by other believers and other non-believers. If I'm walking this world and I have a, a, a situation in my life, let's call it a crisis for now. I'm going to call it something else a little bit. Let's call it a crisis for now. I'm walking this life and a crisis comes into my, into my, my being, my life, and, uh, and, and somebody uh, sees me and I'm still smiling. Uh, uh, you know, I got, I got issues in my back, Brother Verlin, and I'm still smiling. I'm still happy-go-lucky. Nothing's changing the way that I think about other people. Nothing's changing about the way that I treat other people. I'm going to stay happy and focused because one, I know that God is in control. And number two, I have an eternity set forth before me. If I stay on the, the narrow path, I am secured. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So here shortly, I'm going to share with you a time of my life that I believe I live for the purpose of relaying a very spiritual uh, thing to this generation, uh, maybe a generation or two. But Paul said, be not shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word. The writer of Hebrews taught us that there will be a removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. I want to draw your attention just four minutes and 45 seconds here to a little video uh, it's kind of serious, but it's also kind of funny. So, and I'll talk to you. Go ahead, sis. You're now born! Recon Crew Depot, Pass Island, South Carolina, and you're just taking the first step towards becoming a member of the world's first fight force, the United States Marine Corps! You used to be steady, I position your attention. That means your heels are touching, feet at a 45 degree angle, and your mouth is shut. I say again, your mouth is shut. Yes, sir! If your shirt is untucked, you're gonna tuck it in your pants. If your buttons are unbuttoned, you're gonna button your buttons all the way to the top. If your sleeves are rolled all the way up, you're gonna unroll them, and you're gonna cuff them out the cuff. Scream my shirt. Yes, Scream my shirt! We need to break them down, and the best way to do it is really just attack them mentally, really. Coming at them from all different angles, you see a bunch of us running around them, a bunch of us screaming at them, and it's really just to create this chaos, this kind of fog of war. Get it! Get it! Get it! Get it! Get it! 
because we need to see who's going to make it these next 13 weeks. All the kids you see coming through here these couple nights, um, they're not all going to be here in 13 weeks. Write your last name and your platoon number on the bottom corner of the envelope right now. Scream, I sir! I sir! We need to break down these um, individualities that they come with um, of self and me and I. We need to break them down to basically nothing so we can build them back up, not as one, but as one team, one element um, to, to join our Marine Corps. It's not my Marine Corps, it's not his Marine Corps, it's our Marine Corps. <laughs> Again, it's, it's that fog of war effect that we want to create with them of just so much going on around them to see how they're going to function underneath that stress. Some of them have, have lived some lives where um, they've had no stress. You know, kind of they kind of come from that background where everything we give to them, um, everything's kind of thought out for them, everything's planned out for them. underneath that stress if I tell you to do something and he's gonna go tell you to do something we want to see how you're gonna to respond to it a lot of times we're just looking for the initial response are you gonna say something back to me are you gonna to react to me are you gonna do what I told you to do then go do what he told you to do we want to see how you're gonna to respond to it um, if you're just gonna freeze during the headlights pretty intense huh there's a lot going on in that video and believe it or not those were the soft drill instructors those are the soft ones. So, when I want to talk to you today, you put up my title slide. Shaken but not moved. Shaken but not moved. In 1991, I thought I had it all figured out. My dad was in the Navy, so I thought I'd start there. I'll join the Navy. I went and talked to a Navy instructor. I was going to join the Navy. I, didn't, I did everything but sign my, my name on the, on the contract. I got to thinking about that. I got used to the idea of joining the Navy. I said, you know what? I'm going to join the Army National Guard. I sat on that for a while, dwelled on it. And I said, no, you know what? I think I'm going to join the Army Reserves, which is a little bit more than the, the National Guard, which is up. National Guard is operated by the state. The Reserve is, uh, is operated by the president. So uh, I sat on that for a while. I'm like, I'm going to join the Army full time. Just go all in full time. Well, I'm a go-getter, so... That's not, that's never, never, it was never good enough for me. So I decided, you know what? I'm done with that. I don't want to do the Army. I want to do the Marines. Sign me up for the Marines. And so it was that uh, when Saddam Hussein was invading Kuwait, I was signing my name onto a document that gave my life away as a piece of property to the United States Marine Corps, to the United States government for a predetermined time frame not to exceed four years with options to enlist after that. I wanted to earn that title so bad, I wanted to go overseas and fight for freedom. But first, I had to survive 13 weeks of boot camp. I had to make it through the process of transforming from what I was into what the Marine Corps wanted me to be. They had to change me, my thinking, my physical person. They needed to change everything about me. Because I couldn't just walk onto Camp Pendleton as a civilian and say, you know what, I'm a Marine now. No, I had to be tested. 
I had to go through some developmental stages. I had to grow and mature in the Marines. And I had to do so until the Marine Corps finally said, this guy meets our standards. There was no exceptions. It was the Marine Corps way or no way. There wasn't another alternative. There wasn't a side little branch over here. You don't want to be, you can still be a Marine, but let's go this version of the Marine Corps boot camp. It wasn't like that. You had to go to one boot camp. There, well, there's two. There was either, there's one in, in, uh, in Paris Island, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island. There's one in uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego. The one in the, uh, Paris Island was the one that you just saw up here. There was females there and there were males and they were separated after, after receiving. On, on, on drop day, on day five, they were separated. And the other one in the MCRD San Diego was all males. I'll never forget, forget those days. And I still believe with all my heart that when I get older, if I start to lose my mind, you're going to have to dress like a drill instructor just to force my compliance. Because that may very well be the very last thing that stays in my mind when I am fading away. On July 14th, 1992, I stepped off that bus with my best friend, Chad. He had signed up on the buddy system just like me. He was going to go into boot camp with me. We're going to run together. We're going to uh, do all the physical fitness together. We're going to get screamed at together. We're going to do push-ups and pull-ups together. We're going to run all the obstacle course together. We're going to graduate three months later as Marines together. But as soon as we got off the bus, there was these yellow footprints. And the drill instructor says, you, 3054, you, platoon, 3055. And we were separated. We never saw each other again. The end. <laughs> there was no more to it. The first four days was indoctrination, which is exactly what you saw here on that little video. We handled a ton of paperwork. We received our gear, our clothes. We were, we were pretty much worn down. Uh, and we did almost no sleep for four days. And they gave us all the gear we needed for the next 13 weeks. We received our shots, our medical workups. Inside of all that screaming and all that confusion, we had to maintain our bearing. We had to maintain our focus. We had to maintain our discipline and not be distracted or we wouldn't make the cut, even to drop day. And all those drill instructors right there on, the, on, those, on, the, on, that, on the, that indoctrination day, all they ever talked about was Black Friday, Black Friday, Black Friday. What's Black Friday? Well, Monday was uh, receiving, Tuesday was receiving, Thursday was receiving, uh, Wednesday, Thursday was all receiving, and then Friday was the day that's going to drop us with the real drill instructors. These were the ones that were going to live with us for the next 12 weeks. And those guys are soft compared to the ones that we lived with. Now, when I started out, there were 72 of us recruits in a platoon. 72 of us. And we had to learn to live together. Boot camp in the Marines is set up in three phases. Phase one probably being the worst. It consisted mostly of discipline, breaking us away from civilian habits, because uh, everybody knows civilian habits are not good things, right? Um, it had to break us, uh, our civilian bodies down, because our civilian bodies are not good enough. Therefore, our physical bodies had to be turned into fighting bodies. Our old minds had to be transformed into new minds. This was accomplished through rigorous, fast-paced training. The first thing they did to us was strip away our identity. You heard uh, the, the staff sergeant drill instructor lady talking about it. We have to take away the concepts of I, me, and us. We don't talk like that. 
when, when we address ourselves, we talk about, we, we say that this recruit, if I wanted to go to the restroom or the, the head, I said, this recruit requests permission to go to the head. It was never I, it was never me, it was never, oh, don't call a drill instructor a you. That's a goat. Bad idea. But I found out very fast because I was taught my whole life. You know, there's uh, white people, there's black people, there's red people, there's yellow people. We even sing the Bible song, red, yellow, black, and white, we are precious. Forget all that. When I went to the Marines, there was no such thing as groups of people. There was no black people, no white people, no red people, no yellow people. We were just dark green Marines and light green Marines. We were all Marine recruits. It was all stripped away. I wasn't special like I thought I was. I wasn't unique. I wasn't an individual. I had to learn to operate as a team, as a single body with 71 others just like me. Our coats were buttoned all the way up to the top. Our sleeves were rolled all the way down. They were fastened. Our, our trousers were hanging all the way down to the top of our boots. And we were crisp and sharp looking. And our, our, our dress uniform looked like they had never seen a day's work because it hadn't. They were stiff looking. I remember one time... And I have to hurry along. I remember one time uh, in boot camp, um, we had a uni uniform uh, inspection the next morning. And it, we, the drill instructors kept us up really late, Pastor, really late. And the drill instructors uh, had to give us a certain amount of sleep. And they weren't allowed to keep us up beyond a certain time because we had to get a certain amount. It was a standard that they gave the drill instructors. The Marine Corps gave the drill instructors a standard on how to train us. And we had to have a certain amount of sleep so we could function and, and learn and stuff. But they would always keep us up longer and uh, give us um, time to... Um, sleep, but uh, the time wasn't very much. And they would, we were supposed to iron our uniforms through the day, but we would use that day up instead of getting screamed at and getting our th stuff thrown around the floor, and it was chaos. And uh, the drill instructor one night says, you have a uniform inspection in the morning. I expect all of you to get up in the middle. No, he didn't say that. He said, I expect all of you to have clean press camis in the morning. You better not get up in the middle of the night. I better not find out you're ironing them, but they better be done in the morning. And let me tell you, as soon as the drill instructors went to their shack and that door was closed, we were out of bed and we were ironing our stuff and we were so quiet. We were like a, like a black ops mission. It was getting done. It was getting done because we had to improvise. We had to adapt. We had to overcome. They would give us missions that seemed impossible, but you better get it done. In phase two, we moved on to Weapons and Field Training Battalion. They took us away from MCRD San Diego. They moved us to Camp Pendleton, where uh, we would go on that sometimes without food, without uh, water, uh, with sometimes um, a week without showering. Uh, it was disgusting. It was gross. We lived in the field that way. We picked up body lice, living out in the dirt like that. It was just a nasty, nasty experience. But we, and we had to qualify and hone our skills on the M16A2 service rifle. And this kept on until, until the, the, the highlight of phase two was on the rifle range. We had to qualify on the M16A2 service rifle. Third phase. Third phase was awesome. They took us from MCRD, San Diego, moved us right back to, uh, or uh, from Camp Pendleton, moved us right back to San Diego. Now we're back with the phase one guys. There's a whole group. Remember, there's a whole bunch of platoons there. There's a whole bunch of phase one guys now. And now there's some us. We're there. Now we're the phase three guys. The phase three guys got to unbutton their top button. They got to roll their sleeves up to here. They got to blouse their boots down there above their boots. And they looked like Marines. Man, were they sharp. We were sharp as third phasers. We could drill. We were sharp. We could turn corners. Everything was, we did everything together like one body. The highlight 
A third phase was a thing called the crucible. The crucible is a 54-hour test of everything we'd learned. Sleep, food, uh, deprivation was all part of the experience. It tested our leadership responses, our teamwork, our endurance, our combat skills, and so on. When we started this crazy thing, 72 of us were there. When we got to uh, uh, the crucible section of it, there's only 54. 18 men did not make the cut. I later found out that my best friend was among them. I lost him somewhere in phase one. Of the 54 that made the cut, we got to shake the hands of the drill instructor on graduation day. They smiled at us for the first time. It was awesome. We pressed on. We stayed focused. We stayed determined. We had this mindset that we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're just going to stay on task. We're going to keep going because we wanted to earn that prize title. We wanted to be called Marines. We wanted the drill instructor to look at us and call us Marines because they always treated us like we were nobodies, but we were working our way towards a goal where we could shake our, the hand of somebody that was going to say that we're not just nobodies, that we're somebodies. So why did I share this experience with you today? And believe me, I cut it way short. But remember, what I said about the analogies and the metaphors, the anthropomorphisms, is because there's a shaking that's happening right now. As you sit in that pew, you're thinking about the bills. You're thinking about your mom. You're thinking about your dad and your sick child. You're thinking about the, the, the bad day you had at work yesterday, and you're thinking about the bad day you're going to have. You're really dreading going to work, back to work tomorrow. You're thinking about the pain in your back, in your knees or your neck. You're thinking about the migraine that's been causing you grief and the unanswered prayer. You're wondering if there's a, that thing you did yesterday is a sin. You're wondering if you should ask for God for forgiveness. You're wondering if God will forgive you. You're wondering if that person you mistreated was really, if they deserve to be mistreated that way, or you're wondering if you'll ever be able to forgive. There's a shaking that's happening right now in the church. Much of what we're going through serves no other purpose than to distract you. The reason why I'm telling you the things I'm telling you, and you saw the drill instructors in that video screaming at those people, God, did you see that girl, how scared she was, but she held it together. Never get caught alone. She was the very last person in line, and she was alone, and those drill instructors were on her like white on rice on a paper plate in a snowstorm. They were on top of her. Never be alone. And as a church body, we're not expected to be alone. We're not expected to leave anybody behind. We're not expected to leave anybody beside. But we're all going through this together. And everything we do together, we have to remember each other in prayer and fasting and supplication. We've got to remember each other. Because we're a team and we move together as one. I find so much symbolism in military life that when I compare uh, this, I like to compare it to uh, Christian living. Because there's so many similarities. I know that early on in our walk with God, we don't, we don't know too much. We know that there's a God. We know there's a devil. There's a, there's a heaven, and the, the heaven is our goal. We don't know that there's a war waging around us. One side is pulling our mind, and the other side is calling to our soul. And I don't use the words pulling and calling lightly. If you pulled like the world pulls, it'd win every time. God calls us. He doesn't pull us. He doesn't drag us. He's a gentleman. If he wanted to make us do anything, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be flesh and blood. We'd be like the angels, right? Our flesh is tied to this world. 
There's nothing we can do to avoid it. We can't turn that off. There's no option to disconnect from this world other than the, through the, the Holy Spirit and repentance and water baptism. The plan of salvation is the only way to detach ourselves from the sinful uh, bodies that we live in, to, to give ourselves a new nature. Behold, the Bible says, all old things are passed away and all new things have become. So this is what it is, church. When you repent of your sins, you're baptized in Jesus' name. You're not just going to keep on living the old way. You're not going to keep on doing the things that you used to do, but you're going to commit now to the Lord and the old things are going to be dead and you're, you're holding on to something new. The comparison between boot camp and our time on earth, to me, is nothing less than uncanny. I'm telling you, boot camp was designed with a very specific purpose in mind, to make civilians into Marines. To do that, the drill instructors had to, had to rock our world. They had to create as much chaos and confusion as possible. They had to shake things up so much that only the committed would make it. They weren't on purpose trying to make people quit, but they had standards. They had to make things tough so that only the Marines would receive the best, the brightest, the sharpest, and all those quitters, they would just quit. That's how it was designed. In this church, the way that we live right now, you either commit and you make it, or you decide for yourself, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to commit, I'm not going to be dedicated, I'm not going to be focused, and you fall out. That's how it works, church. Nobody can drag you along. Nobody can make you do this thing. It's got to be voluntary. You got to commit to it. You got to have a mindset for it. It's a mindset. If recruits washed out, it was because they reached a breaking point and they just gave up. You saw the footprints there at the beginning of the video. Jesus showed us how to step, His word tells us how to walk. If we could get into our heads that life is just a training ground for eternity, and our decisions, they'll be smarter. The troubles of life will be nothing more than obstacles to us. And when that life-altering tragedy meets us, we can look at that as our crucible. Church, it wasn't demanded of us that we be the fastest. It wasn't demanded of us that we be the strongest. It wasn't demanded of us that we be the smartest. We only have to endure. Once you're in, hang on and don't quit. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. In this life, we're served up with distraction after distraction. It's just life. Some of it's random. Some of it's the devil. Some of it's us. I'd say most of it's us. Most of the New Testament is instruction on controlling our own flesh in this present life we know as the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are all distractions of the world that will bog us down with chains that tether us to the world. These things are nothing more than speed bumps, distractions, if you will, uh, that we must overcome if we are to graduate. 
If we can't overcome the small things, however, will we be able to withstand the crucible? How will we be able to understand that really big test when it comes? How, if we're not tried with the, by the distractions of this world and the things of this world, how will we not reach that point in our life that we can overcome except we go through that first? We gotta do it together, church. There's not a single person here that can make it without the other one. The Bible says, Jesus says, an arm by itself is just an arm. An eye by itself is just an eye. Of course, I'm hoganizing that. The point being, one member of the body is no use by itself. One arm laying on the ground, it can't scratch anything. One eye laying on the ground, it can't see anything. But everything we do, we do together as a church. It's not my church, it's not your church, it's our church. That's right. We are the body. We are the bride. We only have to tough it out together. So I ask you, will you commit today? Will you stand beside me on graduation day? I'm looking forward to it. I don't live in fear of, 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 of any, you know, my crucible. I'm not asking for it, bring it on. I might have been doing it already, I don't know. What you went through is pretty tough. What Sister Deb's going through is pretty tough. All of us have gone through some pretty tough things. Maybe those were our crucibles. All I know is if we walk around this world like zombies, like this all day long, and I, see, I believe in zombies, I see them every day. Every day. You can't go into a restaurant no more and have family dinner because everybody's like, we gotta put the world aside. Yes. I'm not saying there's not things on here that are handy, things on here that you can't use, you know? I use all kinds of media for my, my, my I'm an entrepreneur of sorts, but we got to do it together. We got to walk through this world together. We have to receive instruction we have to utilize the instruction that we receive and stay focused on the goal. We have to stay committed towards the destination. So when that crucible comes, we can look at the Lord in the eyes, shake his hand, and he can say, well done. And that smile, whew. This is fleeting, folks. When we hit eternity, wow, we're gonna look back this speck of time that we live in right now, it'll be like nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.